The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. After the crowd had eaten their fill, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and precede him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already a few miles offshore, was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. At once, Jesus spoke to them. Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him in reply, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened. And, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? After they got into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. It is a fair question to ask why do we celebrate the dedication of buildings? And yet this feast reminds us that places are in fact very important. In Rome, as the church began to grow, very early on, it experienced the martyrdoms of the two great apostles, St. Peter and St. Paul, whose blood was spilled testifying to the truth. And as soon as that happened, the locations where the remains of Peter and Paul were laid to rest became centers around which Christians would quietly begin to gather to pray and to celebrate. And so when the Emperor Constantine embraced Christianity, legalized its practice, and made it even the religion of the empire, he gave the order that churches should be built in each of those locations. And so where Paul was martyred and then laid to rest, where Peter's remains were brought after he was crucified. Churches were built, not to simply be parish churches, but to honor and recognize the fact that the faithful had long been gathering there. Quietly and clandestinely, 
when the church was being persecuted, openly when there was no active persecution. But note the importance then of the faithful of Rome going to those locations when they struggled with their own faith. And these were the places they went to renew their embrace of the gospel. And so the command was that churches should be built. And why? Because the faithful need to continue visiting these locations. And in fact, there were so many visitors that came to the original basilica in honor of St. Paul that shortly after they dedicated it, they had to start taking it down and rebuilding it because it couldn't hold the visitors. So imagine that, just the effort that goes into building a church and you're no sooner built and so many people show up, you've got to, you've got to go back to the drawing board and start over. Um, and that is just a remarkable statement about the importance of this. And originally, this was a feast that was celebrated pretty much just locally in Rome and then across Italy. But over time, as travel became safer and easier, Christians from the nations wanted to come to Rome to pray and to visit these sites. And as that happened then, as representatives, in a sense, of the nations to whom St. Paul and St. Peter preached began to gather in Rome and come to Rome, the feast of these basilicas was extended for the entire church. But it's a celebration not simply of the buildings. It's a celebration of the movement of people, people who don't necessarily live there but want to go there and pray and how appropriate then that we have this feast day on the day that we're caring for the shrine grounds. Because places are important. And just like this shrine was never established to be a parish, but a place that would receive those who would come aside to pray and to deepen their faith, it's something where in celebrating these buildings, we celebrate the very essence of what it is that we have right here. And so we have these beautiful readings that are given to us. Our first reading is taken from the very end of the book called The Acts of the Apostles. And The Acts of the Apostles is that book that talks about what happened after Pentecost and how the church began to grow and expand. It begins paying attention to St. Peter and his initial ministry and then very quickly shifts to the apostolic journeys of St. Paul as he traveled around the Mediterranean, bringing the gospel to the nations. And the gospel ends at the culmination of St. Paul's travels, having suffered shipwreck three separate times, having been arrested, having been beaten to the point of death, he still continues and he finds himself a prisoner in the city of Rome, but a prisoner who's under a certain form of house arrest where he's allowed to receive visitors and continue preaching. And so even in chains, we see the gospel will spread because the gospel cannot be chained. The gospel cannot be held in bondage. And so Paul, in the eyes of the world, a prisoner, 
still proclaims, still wins conversions, still preaches to the city of Rome. What a remarkable reminder that is of the strength and the importance of the gospel. But we see at the end the culmination of St. Paul's ministry. St. Paul was beaten so severely folks literally thought he was dead. And we see that at the end of the same day, miraculously, he's recovered and continues preaching. St. Paul is arrested and in prayer, in prison, the doors pop open, the chains fall off of him, and yet he sits there safely because he doesn't want his jailer to get in trouble. What a remarkable man. This man who jails could not hold him. The beatings the world inflicted upon him could not break him. Traveling and literally shipwrecking in the Mediterranean on three separate occasions and surviving every single time and never taking advantage of the opportunity to run away to safety, but always continuing until he arrived in Rome, which was the seat of the empire. Rome ruled the world at that point. And Paul was the one who spoke to the heart of Rome, the message of faith and the word of truth. And he showed Rome that there is no earthly power, however great, however wealthy, however ancient, that can constrain, restrict, or imprison the gospel. And then we have our gospel reading itself this marvelous example of St. Peter and the Apostles and this fraught journey on their boat. And there's a lot of symbolism in this reading because one of the ancient images of the church itself is the church is the bark or the boat of St. Peter. So this gathering of the disciples in a boat with St. Peter is also an image of the church, the people of God, traveling across the stormy seas of this world, of time, of history. And let's be honest, our lives know those kinds of moments where we feel alone and small, like that handful of men in their little boat, surrounded by all that stormy water. And we wonder sometimes how we are to continue. And it was out of this spirit that many came to Rome. There are many who came to the Basilica of St. Paul because they said, my life is like a shipwreck. And I want to pray at the tomb of that man who survived shipwreck time and time again. There were families who wanted to go to the tomb of St. Peter because they understood our family is like that little group in the boat. And we're not sure how we're getting across this water. And we need the help and the prayer of somebody who lived through exactly that. It's also why people come here. And it's also why people come to shrines all around the world. It's not just because people say, things are going really well and I want to get more holy. It's also because I feel like I'm lost at sea. 
and I'm not sure how I'm finding my way back. And so a shrine becomes a haven for the shipwrecked of the world. A shrine becomes a haven for those who find that the waters of life are just too stormy, and I'm not sure where to go. So we have this marvelous example of Jesus, and note how it works. Jesus sends them out onto these stormy waters. When the Lord sends the church out into the world, when the Lord sends us out into the world, he never promises he'll take the storms away because the gospel's not fantasy land. The world has its storms. The waters are often rough. And so the church goes out before him, but the Lord is up on the mountain already at prayer. And the beautiful thing is he's never separated from those men in the boat. Physically, it seems like he's very far away. Physically, they can't see him. They can't hear him. They can't stretch out their hands and touch him at this moment. All they can do is try to continue forward. But he has never separated himself from them. He's aware of the storm. He's aware of the boat. He's aware of their uncertainty. And he is pleased to allow it at this moment to continue so that we who live 2,000 years later can learn from what happened on that night on the water. And so it is the storm is overwhelming. A group of men in a boat feeling so small in the middle of so much. And then suddenly, deep in the night, the fourth watch, St. Matthew says, and that's an important statement because that's toward the end of the night. And so note, the night of the storm, the night of suffering has been long, but it is coming to an end. And it's coming to an end because he is arriving. And it's a remarkable incident. The Lord is miles away on the mountaintop. And suddenly, he's within eyesight on the water. Just imagine that for a moment. Out of nowhere, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of their fear and their insecurity, suddenly he is there. Physically, he's smaller than the boat that they're in. Physically, he's one guy. They're many, he's smaller physically. And yet, physically so small, and yet the great anger of the storm does nothing to him. It doesn't disorient him. It doesn't make it difficult for him to move. In fact, the waters that are so completely unruly to the boat are simply like a smooth floor for him as he walks. He walks in the storm. He walks through the storm, the storm is still there. And yet, this incredible peacefulness of the Lord who moves directly through the storm to Peter and his boat. And note the promise. The Lord will always move directly through the storm to the boat of St. Peter. And they look out and understandably they're frightened, understandably they're confused, 
It's not enough to say they saw a guy walking on water. One has to recognize he's walking through the storm and the wind isn't knocking him off balance. He's walking through the surging of the sea. This is not smooth waters. This is not a pond. He's walking through the danger that could overwhelm them. So small and yet obviously greater than that danger. And so they are in a panic. But note St. Peter, there's a marvelous boldness about him. If it's really you, call me out on the water. And one sits there and says, well, what do you mean if it's really you? How are you going to know? Um, but it's a, it's a remarkable moment. But note how he says it. Call me to you. That's how he will know because he knows what the call of Jesus is like. If it's really you, you call me, and I'll know it's you. Because Peter's experience of Jesus is being called by him. And so he says, give me the call, and I will come. And so the Lord says, come to me. And we all know what happens next. We have that marvelous scene, which is like those cartoons we grew up watching, right? You all saw them, even, even those of us who are a little older. You know, the, uh, the cartoon character runs off the cliff and he's running across open air without realizing it until at some point he stops and looks down and then he falls. And we have something like that here. St. Peter comes out of the boat. He's on the water. He's walking through the storm. He's actually doing it. And then all of a sudden, he realizes what is happening. And he realizes, I'm out in the middle of that storm that could kill me. And reacting like any of us probably would, all of a sudden, now he loses his balance and begins to sink. But note how he sinks. Even as Peter falls, he sinks in the direction of Jesus. He doesn't give up because he knows Jesus is there. And so he says, Lord, save me. And suddenly the Lord pulls him up to stand with himself. And what do we hear? Right after this, the boat arrives on the far shore. It reaches its destination after this. And that's a promise, too, as well, as stormy as life gets. As the church moves through it, the Lord will make sure that we get to that far shore, which is the real end of our journey, that shore of eternal life, that shore of a happiness and a blessedness that cannot be taken away. It is not an accident, in fact, my friends, that at this shrine, the statue of Our Lady holding the Lord looks out toward the ocean toward those, in a sense, who would come across the waters to arrive at their destination, but also to remind us that there is a far shore toward which we ourselves are also moving. What a remarkably beautiful image this is and series of scriptures that we have today. And it's a curious thing. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Oh, you of little faith, why'd you give up? 
And it can be easy for us here in this dry space, which isn't being shaken by the wind today, to say, yeah, you know, St. Peter got out of the boat and he sunk right away. Man, the guy had no faith. Don't be so quick. How many of us would have gotten out of the boat in the first place? You know, that's, it's important to recognize that. He had enough faith to actually try it. He had enough faith to actually take a chance. He had enough faith to step out and move. His lack of faith was simply something that happened on the way. And Jesus, when saying that to him, says, as strong as your faith that got you out of the boat was, we still need to work on it. We still need to work on it so that you too can walk to others and reach out to others across the storms that afflict them. This is also St. Peter then learning as the leader of the church what the church will need to do in the future. There are so many whose lives are in crisis and the Lord is letting us know here he is founding his church also to be that body of his which will go out across the storms of the world to do as Jesus did for him. What a beautiful, again, image of the very essence of the church. And in saying this to Peter, he's issuing a challenge to the other guys in the boat. If Peter needs to improve his faith and he at least could get out, what about you guys? What about you guys who didn't risk, who didn't look for it? And the issue is we recognize then that there are two different kinds of lack of faith. There's the lack of faith, which is simply faith which isn't quite as strong as it needs to be. That's what happens to Peter. He has a certain strength to his faith. He steps out of the boat, but it's a faith that can still be shaken and a faith that can still be overwhelmed, and so he begins to sink. But then there's the lack of faith which paralyzes us, where it's not that there's no faith, but it's still so small and fragile, we're not willing to risk stepping out of the boat yet. That's not bad, but it is a sign of where we need to grow. Faith gets us into the boat, but stronger faith allows us from time to time to follow the call of Jesus even outside of the boat. And a stronger faith yet allows us to walk all the way across the water. Here in this little boat at our shrine today, we have varying levels of faith among ourselves. Some of us are perhaps more comfortable taking a leg over the other side of the boat. Some of us are not ready. Some of us may even be wondering, how did I find my way into the boat in the first place? That's all right. Because however stormy life is for any of us today, Jesus is here. The eye doesn't see him yet, but he's here. And in just a few minutes, he will be present on top of this altar. And note how marvelous it is. From heaven, the Lord who never separates himself from us comes. And like he stood on those storm-tossed waters before that little boat, He'll be here, however stormy life has been for any of us or for all of us. Here, not for somebody else, here for you, here for me. 
And note, when he gets here, however stormy the waters of your heart have been, he's going to be at the front of this church and he's going to say to you what he said to St. Peter. He's going to say, get up out of the boat, get up out of your seat. Don't worry about what has been shaking your heart. Get up out of the seat and you walk across those stormy waters to me. You come to me. Know how wonderful that is. You come to me. It doesn't matter how big the storm is. I'm here. You come. And in arriving, we might even find ourselves thinking, Lord, I'm near you and I still feel like I'm sinking. But note how beautiful it is. What did St. Peter do? He called and stretched out his hand to the Lord who grabbed him. And when you come forward for communion, what do we do? We stretch out our hands to the Lord. And it's not merely a matter of us receiving him. It's also that matter of that's that moment where Jesus does for us what he did for St. Peter. Even as the host touches my hand, it's the hand of Jesus lifting me up. It's the hand of Jesus pulling me out of the chaos to a place of safety and a place of peace. What a great, beautifully great gift that is. Places are important because they teach us so much. And the places connected to two, these two great men are, in a sense, the original great havens of the storm-tossed, the shipwrecked, the confused, and the overwhelmed of the world, just like we can be. And how wonderful as well that we've been gifted with this wonderful place where we too, storm-tossed, shipwrecked, confused, overwhelmed, can come and know that he walks right across those stormy waters to us, and nothing will stop him from reaching us. Amen.